Hebrews 7, starting in verse 1. Again, I'll read down through verse 16. It says, This Melchizedek was king of Salem and priest of God Most High. He met Abraham returning from the defeat of the kings, and he blessed him, and Abraham gave him a tenth of everything. First, his name means king of righteousness. Then also, king of Salem means king of peace. Without father or mother, without genealogy, without beginning of days or end of life, the Son of God, uh, he he remains a priest forever. Just think how great he was. Even the patriarch Abraham gave him a tenth of the plunder. Now, the law requires the descendants of Levi who become priests to collect a tenth from the people. That is, their brothers, even though their brothers are descended from Abraham. This man, however, did not trace his descendant from Levi, yet he collected a tenth from Abraham, and he blessed him who had the promises. And without doubt, the lesser person is blessed by the greater. In the one case, the tenth is collected by men who die, but in the other case, by him who is declared to be living, One might even say that Levi, who collects the tenth, paid the tenth through Abraham, because when Melchizedek met Abraham, Levi was still in the body of his ancestor. If perfection could have been attained through the Levitical priesthood, for on the basis of it the law was given to the people, why was there still need for another priest to come? One in the order of Melchizedek, not the order of Aaron. For when there is a change of the priesthood, there must also be a change of the law. He of whom these things uh, are said belonged to a different tribe, and no one from that tribe has ever served at the altar. For it is clear that our Lord descended from Judah, and in regard to that tribe, Moses said nothing about priests. And what we have said is even more clear if another priest like Melchizedek appears, one who has become a priest not on the basis of a regulation, as to his ancestry, but on the basis of the power of an indestructible life. Now, friends, it'd be easy to read that text and think that it was all about Melchizedek. It's really easy to read those 16 verses and think that Melchizedek is the star of this passage, that somehow uh, up on the marquee it is his name in lights. But we know better because we have studied the whole context of this great book of Hebrews. And we know who the star of this show is, don't we? Uh, His name is Jesus, and it's his name that, that is up on the marquee. His name is in lights. It's his story. And so we know that this passage cannot simply be um, boasting about Melchizedek, but instead Melchizedek has to be boasting about, about Jesus. And, and, and so uh, before we even introduce our lesson, I need you to understand our author's intent. Our author is using this figure, Melchizedek, to highlight, to shine a spotlight on, uh, if you will, on, on the life of, of Jesus Christ, on the person of Jesus Christ. And so you need to know this passage is indeed about Jesus, and that kind of leads to what our lesson is. And here's the lesson this morning. You need to understand Jesus is actually an entirely better priesthood. It's not just a a better high priest. Jesus is a better priesthood. Now, this whole lesson revolves around our understanding of this guy named Melchizedek here in Hebrews 7, right? 
And so Hebrews 7, 1 and 2 begins by saying that Abraham, when he returned from defeat of the kings, tithed to this guy Melchizedek. Now that story is found in Genesis chapter 14. And so I want to read it um, in its entirety, if you don't mind. So turn with me to Genesis chapter 14. And and you guys are going to pick up in verse 18, okay? Uh, In verse 18 of Genesis chapter 14. And uh, as you turn there to, to Genesis chapter 14, verse 18, I want to kind of give you some, some background, okay? And, and here's the background. Um, there are four kings, uh, roughly, and, and it's the king of Sodom and the king of Gomorrah and the, the, the king of Admah and the king of Seboim. And, and these four kings uh, want to rebel against the one king that reigns over them, the king of Edom. And the king of Edom is a guy named Kedor Laomer. And Kedor Laomer rules over these other four kings, the king of, of Sodom, the king of Gomorrah, the king of Adma, and the king of Seboim. And, and so these, these four kings get together and they say, listen, we're tired of him. We're tired of this king of Edom. We're going to rebel. Let's go uh, against him in war. And so the four kings get their armies and they go against this one king in war. Only one, one problem, the king of Edom's not a dummy. He's not a slouch, so he grabs four kings, and he goes to battle against these other four kings. So five kings against four kings, guess who wins? Five kings. The five kings and the five armies beat the four kings and the four armies. The only problem with that is that when they win, they take plunder, because that's what they did, right? And, and so, so they, they basically plunder, they, they ransack the, the cities of Sodom, uh, uh, of Gomorrah, of Adma, and Seboim. And, and in doing so, they take captive Abraham's nephew Lot and all of his possessions. So Abraham gets wind of that, and he decides, you know what, I'm going to do something about it. So he rides out with his own little personal army. He has 318 trained men just in his household. And he pursues these five kings And Abraham and his army of 318 men, by the power of God, do what four kings and their armies could not do. And he defeats five kings and their armies. And he regains all that was stolen. He regains his nephew. And so he's coming back from from this battle victorious. And that's where we meet this guy, Melchizedek. Uh, Genesis 14, verse 18. It says, Then Melchizedek, king of Salem brought out bread and wine. He was priest of God Most High, and he blessed Abram, saying, Blessed be Abram by God Most High, creator of heaven and earth, and blessed be God Most High, who delivered your enemies into your hand. Then Abram gave him a tenth of everything. That's it. That's it. That is the story of Melchizedek in Genesis chapter 14. Now, in fact, the only other place we find his name is in Psalm 110. Now, so, so let's turn there. Psalm 110 uh, is a psalm about Jesus, by the way, just in case you're wondering how all these things work together. So Psalm uh, 110, starting in verse 1, I'll, I'll read through verse 4, uh, this psalm that's written about Jesus. And here's what it says. It says, The Lord says to my Lord... Sit at my right hand. If you were wondering who that is, that's Jesus sitting at the right hand of the Father. Until I make your enemies a footstool for your feet, the Lord will extend your mighty scepter from Zion. You will rule in the midst of your enemies. Your troops will be willing on your day of battle, arrayed in holy majesty. From the womb of the dawn, you will receive the dew of your youth. The Lord has sworn and will not change his mind. 
you are a priest forever in the order of Melchizedek. That's all that's mentioned in all of Scripture other than Hebrews 7 about Melchizedek. And from these two passages, our author makes this great argument that Jesus is a better priesthood. And I want to give you four reasons why that's the case, okay? So four reasons why Jesus is an entirely better priesthood. Not just a better high priest, but but an entirely better priesthood. Here's the first, ready? Because Jesus' priesthood is royal. Because Jesus' priesthood is, is royal. Now we're back in Hebrews 7. Verse 1 and 2, it says, This Melchizedek was king of Salem and priest of God Most High. He met Abraham returning from the defeat of the kings, and he blessed him, and Abraham gave him a tenth of everything. Uh, First, his name means king of righteousness. Then also king of Salem uh, means king of peace. Now, here's the deal. All the high priests from the line of Aaron, all the Levitical priests, they were just that. They were priests. That's, that's all they were. They were priests. Now, that's a good thing. I mean, that's a great thing. They, they were priests. It's a, it's a big deal. It's a big deal. Lots of honor there. They were priests, but they were just priests. But this guy, he's high priest, and it says he's king. And, 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 so, and it gives us his name. Now, now, there's a lot in this name, right? So his name is Melchizedek. And that last part of that name, Zedek, it literally means righteous king. Righteous king, Okay. And, and then he's from, he's the king of Salem. Now, Salem uh, comes from the Hebrew word shalom, which means peace. And therefore, we get his title. He is the king of, of righteousness and the king of peace. And according to Psalm 110, according to God, right, this guy represents Jesus, who is the king of righteousness and peace, whose kingdom will never end. And oh, by the way, neither will his priesthood forever you'll be high priest in the order of Melchizedek. And so we begin here, Jesus' priesthood is better because it's royal. There was no one in Aaron's line that could boast that. There was no one out of the Levitical priesthood that could boast that they were royalty, that they were kings, but Jesus can. He's better, okay? Second, Jesus' priesthood is better because it is indestructible. Jesus' priesthood is is indestructible. Verse 3 it says, without father or mother, without genealogy, without beginning uh, of days or end of life, like the Son of God, he remains a priest forever. And then you skip down to verse 16. It says, one who has become a priest, not on the basis of regulation as to his ancestry, but on the basis of power and of an indestructible life. Now, now hear me. Verse 3 is, is not trying to say that Melchizedek was, was uh, without father or mother. That's not what it's saying. Rather, the author's doing something really kind of clever because he wants to point to Jesus. So the truth is that throughout Scripture, there is zero genealogy for this guy named Melchizedek. We just don't have it. So he uses the absence of details about Melchizedek to point to Jesus, who is God, who is without beginning or end. He's saying Jesus is eternal, right? So kind of like Melchizedek is a blip on a radar, that's a symbol of who Jesus is because Jesus is truly without beginning or end. So just like we don't have a beginning or an end, end to the story of Melchizedek, Jesus is without beginning or end. So he's pointing to Jesus there. You see, he's just using this cute kind of literary way to do it. Now here's the deal. Genealogies in Jewish uh, 
thinking were really, really important. I mean, just read the Bible. You read Numbers lately? Anybody read the beginning of Numbers lately? I mean, it is all genealogies. Now, some of you that are into like Ancestry.com, you love that stuff. You're in Numbers. Oh, man, I could, I could chart this stuff forever. Look, a little green leaf just popped up over here. I'm going to click on that and see what happens, you know. And, but the rest of us, I'm like, oh, that, that stuff gives me a headache. And, uh, but, but if you don't think genealogies, read, read the New Testament. There are genealogies all over the New Testament. Genealogies are really important important to Jews. And and here's the deal, the Levitical priesthood, I mean, it's called that because all priests had to come from the tribe of of Levi. Now, Levi was one of Jacob's 11 sons. Levi was one of Jacob's 11 sons. Now, he had three sons, uh, Gershon, Kohath, and Merari, and and, uh, and, and everybody out of of those three guys, uh, all their ancestors could serve um, in the priesthood, but something happened on Mount Sinai. On Mount Sinai, uh, from that point on, uh, only descendants of Aaron could deal with sacrifices. Okay, only only descendants of, from Mount Sinai, only descendants of Aaron could deal with sacrifices. Therefore, high priests could only come because they had to deal with the Day of Atonement with sacrifice. They could only come from the line of Aaron. So genealogy was extremely important if you were a high priest because you had to be able to trace your lineage by blood all the way back to Aaron. And here's, here's the point that our author is making. Jesus doesn't have to do that. Jesus' priesthood wasn't based on genealogy. Jesus' priesthood was based on the fact that his life was indestructible, that he had the power to lay it down and the power to take it back up. That's what his priesthood is established on. It's a completely different requirement. New priesthood, new laws. It's a big deal. It's a big deal. Number three. Jesus' priesthood is better because it's superior. It's, it's superior. Starting in verse 2, it says, And Abraham gave him a tenth of everything. Gave him a tenth of everything. Verse 4 says, Just think how great he was. Even the patriarch Abraham gave him a tenth of the plunder. Now, the law requires the descendants of Levi who become priests to collect a tenth from the people. That's their brothers, even though their brothers are descendants from Abraham. This man, however, did not trace his descendant from Levi, yet he collected a tenth from Abraham and he blessed him who had the promises. And without a doubt, the lesser person is blessed by the greater. In the one case, the tenth is collected by men who die, but in the other case, by him who is declared to be living One might even say that Levi, who collects the tenth, paid the tenth through Abraham because when Melchizedek met Abraham, Levi was still in the body of his ancestor. And here's the point, right? All the priests, that's what they did. They collected tithes from the people and they brought them into the storehouse of God. This is one of their roles. Yet yet this guy Melchizedek, he actually collects a tithe from Abraham. Okay? Now here's the way that this worked uh, according to Jewish reason. Because Levi is, is a descendant of Abraham, and, 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 and because Abraham tithed, it's saying, listen, at one point, Levi was inside Abraham, right? Parents can explain that to children later. Um, and so because he was still inside Abraham at this point, and Abraham tithed, therefore, you can make the argument that Levi, uh, and all Levites, the whole Levitical priesthood, has tithed unto this priesthood, this line of Melchizedek, this line that represents Jesus. Therefore, 
the priesthood of Jesus is far superior. And then it goes on in verse 6, 7, and 8, and it talks about the fact that this priesthood has blessed the other priesthood. And it says, the, the, the greater always blesses the lesser. Okay? Abraham, the, the Levitical priesthood, didn't bless Jesus' priesthood. That's not how that worked. It always went the other way. Okay? And that's a, that's a really, really big deal. It's just saying Jesus' priesthood is superior. And here's, here's the last one, okay? Number four. Priesthood is better because Jesus' priesthood is perfect. Jesus' priesthood is, is perfect. Verse 11 and 12, it says, If perfection could have been attained through the Levitical priesthood, for on the basis of the law it was given to the people, why was there still need for another priest to come, one in the order of Melchizedek, not in the order of Aaron? For when there is a change of the priesthood, there must also be a change in the law. So the priesthood, the whole sacrificial system, flowing down from Levi into Aaron, all the, high, the, the whole sacrificial system by which atonement for sins were made, according to the Bible, was imperfect. It was imperfect because it, it, it was continual. It, it, it could never cease. It could never stop. We'll get into that later in, in the book of Hebrews. It, it, it never ceased. It never stopped. There was need for a better priesthood, uh, a perfect priesthood according to this text, a once and for all sacrifice for sins. Uh, uh, the, the, the power, we, we sang a moment ago, to heal to the uttermost. The power to offer indestructible life. And that's what we have in Jesus. And this is what I want you to see. Just think about this with me, okay? The old system just covered sins. You, you probably need to write that down somewhere. The, the old system only had the power to cover sins. That's it. But like Mark Batterson says, you can do nothing wrong and still do nothing right. The, the, the old system only had the ability to cover wrong. It could only cover wrong. But, but seriously, you can, you can do nothing wrong and still do nothing right. But, 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 but see this, we, we didn't need a priest to simply cover our wrong. We needed a priesthood with the power to make us right. We didn't just need a priesthood to cover our wrong. We needed a priesthood with the power to actually make us right because God is right. Because God is holy. Because God is just. It's not enough just not to be wrong. We needed a priesthood with the power to make us right. And that's who we have in Jesus. His, his priesthood is royal and indestructible, superior and perfect. So what do we do? With all that, uh, I can only come up with really one thing that, that hopefully applies to us all, maybe in different ways. Uh, we said a few weeks ago that um, the original hearers of these words, the, those that originally received it, um, under great persecution, a uh, lot, lot of that going on, many friends being thrown in jail, some being killed, that their family members who were still thoroughly Jewish were, were probably asking, who's your high priest? And that's why our author is writing, saying, Jesus is your high priest, he's better. And so they're probably telling them, listen, you need to go to your high priest. And, and you know what, I, I, I think our author is saying, yeah, you're right. You need to go to your high priest, his name is Jesus, right? And, and so really just the application for us um, some 2,000 years later is, is, is about the same, really, is that we need to go to our high priest. And so I want to encourage you, uh, our application this week, just simply put, come, come to Jesus. 
come to Jesus, and, 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 and that, that should apply every single week in, in many different areas of life. And the first area that I would speak to this morning is I would encourage you to come to Jesus for assurance. Right? To come to Jesus for, for assurance because uh, his, his priesthood is, is perfect, because he's a once-for-all sacrifice, because Jesus doesn't just cover your wrongs, but he has the power to make you right. And I meet so many Christians that they still struggle with this. And, and, and they're still weighing and balancing. And, and they're not sure whether or not they're really saved because they, they don't remember the exact date that they prayed a prayer or, or, or what that looked like. Now, there's a couple reasons that you can struggle with assurance. One reason you can struggle with assurance of your salvation is because you may not actually be saved. I know that doesn't help you if you're struggling with assurance of your salvation for somebody to say that. But, it, but it's legitimate. Okay? You say, well, how do I know I'm saved? Because an exchange takes place. Because Jesus, when he called people, he always said, come and follow me. He didn't say, just stay where you are and think about me. Okay? It's really, really important. Jesus always looked at people and said, come follow me. He, he looked at the rich young ruler and he said, give up yourself and, and, and follow me. Stop following you and start following me. That is the invitation to follow Jesus. And so if you're somebody that has never um, actually followed Jesus, this is how you know whether or not you're a Christian. If you just kind of sit around and think about Jesus and wear Jesus t-shirts and listen to Jesus music, but you don't actually walk in his direction, you may not be a, a true believer. You might just have some head knowledge and some affinity for Jesus. And that could cause a lot of, 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 discon, uh, of concern in your life. That, that could cause a, a lot of questioning. That, that could cause um, doubt. That could cause uh, problems with assurance. And that's a good cause for questioning assurance. Now, here's, here's the other folks, though. Some of you don't have assurance because you don't get it yet. And what you don't get is you don't get the fact that Jesus' priesthood is perfect. And that it's finished. And that he doesn't just cover your wrong, but he actually makes you right, and you're declared right already. You're declared right already. Friends, if something horrible were to happen to you after you left this place, I wouldn't have to run out before you breathe your last breath and pray some magical prayer over you. You know why? Because Jesus has declared you right, because he has made you right. Because his priesthood is perfect. Whew. So come to Jesus. And I want to challenge some of you in this room. You hide it well, but you really do struggle with assurance. This morning, could you nail that down? Could you just come to Jesus and say, hey, I realize you're perfect. What am I doing? Why, why, why am I not just putting a nail right here and just, just making a spiritual marker? You are perfect. You have finished it. You have not just covered my wrong, but you have made me right. I am right according to you. Stand in that. So, so come to Jesus for assurance. Okay. Second, I would challenge you because of this message to come to Jesus for rest. Why? Because his priesthood is superior. Superior to what? The old one. You know what the old one's about? Work. That's what the old one is about. The old one is all about work. The old one is all about your sin and, and having you trying to cover it, right? I mean, think about it. The old sacrificial system, what are you doing? It's, it's all workspace. I'm, I'm, I'm doing this so that I can cover all the things I've been done. You know anybody in the Christian life that lives their life like that? I mean, maybe it's not an animal that they're sacrificing, but well, I've got to give up some time here because I've got to cover my, my wrongdoing. I've got to do this because I've got to cover all the bad things I've done. Listen, that, that, that old system is gone, friends. There's a, there's a far superior system that's here, and it's called grace. 
Jesus doesn't say, come and just work for me. He says, come and I'm going to work in you. Now, that doesn't mean you get to sit on your duff, right? But it, but it means that God is going to work through surrendered people to change the world. When he says go, he's not saying go work for me. He's saying go be surrendered to me and I will work through you. It's totally different. And when we do that, when we surrender to God, when we find ourselves there, great, great, powerful things happen. This is why Jesus says, come to me, all you who are weary, heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Some of you need to rest in Jesus. You're still trying to cover your own sins, not realizing he's already done that. He's been there. He's done that. He is far superior. You don't have to earn his praise. He loves you because you're his child. Isn't there great comfort there? Boy, there is great comfort there. I don't know about you, but I find great comfort there. So some of you need to come to Jesus for rest. Some of you need to come to him for assurance. Lastly, I think some of you need to come to him to escape your past. Aren't you glad when you walk through the doors of the church, you don't have to wear your background check as your shirt? I'm not talking about some legal guidelines. We check all our ministry workers and all those kind of... I'm, I'm talking about all the mess-ups. I'm talking about all the hurts. I'm talking about what your mom and dad were like and what your grandparents were like. I, some of us just need to come to Jesus because we need to realize that he has the power to break generational sin. Right? Because some of us, that's our background. Our background, we, 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 we were raised in that, that cycle of generational sin. And hear me, it doesn't matter how messed up your ancestry is. That's kind of the point. Jesus' priesthood is indestructible. In Christ, you have a new family tree, and it defines you, not your past, not your parents, not their problems. This priesthood of Jesus is indestructible. You get to start all over. You get to start anew. It doesn't matter who your parents were. It doesn't matter how you're raised. It doesn't matter even what you've done. You're new. If anyone is in Christ, he's a new creation. The old is gone and the new has come. And his priesthood signifies that for us. It's a break of ancestry. It's a brand new beginning. Whoo! Clean slates are good, aren't they? Aren't they? I don't know about you. This gives me great hope as a parent. You know what I'm saying? I mean, it gives me great hope as a parent because I, I feel like a failure and a mess. Some of you out there are feeling me. like Because so, some of you have older kids and, and you're seeing to sit and you're like, oh, I'm a failure. No, listen, the, the great thing about Jesus, he's, got, he's, he's way better than you are. He's way better than you are and way more powerful than you are. And he's actually got the ability to change your kid's heart and change their mind. And, and it doesn't matter how bad you could possibly mess them up because he's better. He's better. He has the power to break all that generational stuff and he does it on a regular basis. And so some of you need to come to him for that. Friends, that's, that's going to be our invitation this morning. It's simple. That's our application this morning. If you, you feel one of those areas... I'm going to invite you to come to Jesus this morning and meet with him and talk to him about it. Would you pray with me? Father, thank you for loving us. Thank you for your word. Thank you for its truth. I pray that you've taught us in our innermost parts. You have taught us 
in that depth of the heart level, that depth of the gut level where we needed it. I pray that we could do just what we've talked about, that we would come to you this morning with all that we are, with all that we have. Jesus, it's in your name that we pray and ask these things. Amen.